0: It was just after 7 a.m. on June 14th when a team of Republican members of Congress went from shagging balls to dodging bullets.
1: That guy been shot, is he okay?
0: That guy was Congressman Steve Scalise. He'd been hit in the left hip with a bullet from a rifle. He crawled until his arms gave out and in his first interview told us what he was thinking
2: on that ball field. You know, the first thing that came to mind, uh, I prayed, God, please don't let my daughter have to walk up the aisle alone.
3: Every year, NASA gives us a gift. Dramatic new discoveries from our universe provided by the Hubble telescope. From the infinite black canvas, we get an awe-inspiring light show of stars. Deep space, the stuff of creation and things we have never seen before from our very own solar system.
4: I believe Hubble has been the single most transformative scientific instrument that we've ever built.
5: Christian Pulisic is only 19 years old and may be the best American to ever play soccer. He's now playing for one of the most revered clubs in Europe, Dortmund. 80,000 German fans scream your name, you better deliver. This is the stadium's so-called yellow wall. They have two rules, no sitting in the stands and no excuses on the field. An historic day for
3: the young American.
6: I'm Steve Croft.
3: I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker.
5: I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Nora
0: O'Donnell.
6: I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes.
0: Congressman Steve Scalise did something this past week that's rare in Washington. He brought Democrats and Republicans to their feet to cheer for the same thing. (laughs) Members of both political parties welcomed him back to Congress with a rousing ovation and with good reason. Three and a half months ago, he was nearly killed when a gunman armed with a rifle and a nine millimeter handgun ambushed the Republican congressional baseball team. In his first interview since the shooting, joined by his wife, Jennifer, he explained to us in vivid detail how he survived. It's not been widely known just how close he came to death, the extent of his injuries, and what physical challenges are in his future until now.
2: It's a miracle. You know, if you look at what happened that morning, you know, a gunman came out with a lot of artillery, uh, You know, just hell-bent on, on killing a lot of us. And we're just out there playing baseball, uh, sitting ducks, and he started firing away. If you would have said, at the end of this, the only person that would be dead would be the shooter. Nobody would believe it.
0: It was just after 7 a.m. on June 14th at a ballpark in Alexandria, Virginia, when a team made up of Republican members of Congress went from shagging balls to dodging bullets.
1: Is that guy been shot, is he okay?
0: That guy was Congressman Steve Scalise. He'd been hit in the left hip with a bullet from a rifle. This cell phone video was among the first images of him that day. The last was him being wheeled on a gurney to a helicopter, clinging to life. He spent most of the next four
2: days unconscious. I found out later just how much damage was done internally. You know, I mean, my femur was shattered. Uh, the hip and pelvis had serious damage where the bullet went through and, you know, did some damage to areas that had to be shored up with steel plates, and 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 they did a phenomenal job of rebuilding, you know, kind of the <laughs> rebuilding Humpty Dumpty. I mean, there were <laughs> there was a lot of damage inside that uh, that had to get fixed.
0: They put you back together
2: again. They put me back together again.
0: <laughs> You're known as a man who loves politics and baseball. <laughs> Have either of those things changed? <laughs> Not
2: a bit. <laughs> um, you know, I love uh, the. Job I have as a member of Congress, representing Southeast Louisiana, uh, and I love being the House Majority Whip. This is morally wrong.
0: As the Majority Whip, Steve Scalise ranks third in the Republican House leadership. Read this bill. Usually counts votes, not balls and strikes, unless he's playing second base for the Republicans, and that's where he was at practice the day before the annual congressional baseball game, one of the last bipartisan activities in a polarized Washington. Scalise was fielding balls when he heard what he thought was a tractor backfire. And then he was on the
2: ground. I knew I was shot. Uh, Didn't know how bad it was. Uh, You know, in a weird way, your body kind of goes numb. You know, as bad as the wounds were, and obviously I know now how severe it was, uh, at the time, you know, I guess my body had been shutting down a lot of the real pain, and I was just thinking about what was going on at the moment. Did you see the shooter? never saw the shooter
0: the shooter was 66 year old james hodgkinson according to the fbi he'd posted anti-republican views on social media and had a piece of paper that contained the names of six members of congress we've learned they were all conservative republicans scalise was not on the list but two of his teammates were do you believe you were targeted
2: as a republican i think it was clear he he had Political agenda, if you want to even call it that, it, it's a sick, twisted agenda. I don't think he could have been in the right frame of mind, but um, it was clear what his intentions were.
0: You were shot when you were in second base. You you tried
2: to crawl, right? Well, when I went down, you know, my first instinct was to try to get away from the gunfire, so I started crawling, you know, and that's when my arms gave out. And then, what did you do? At that point, I just. Went in a prayer, and it gave me a calmness. It was a weird calmness while I'm hearing the gunfire. You know, the first thing that came to mind, I prayed, God, please don't let my daughter have to walk up the aisle alone. That was the first thing that came to mind. That was the first thing. Yeah. And obviously, after that, I prayed that I can see my family again i could see the fire
7: coming from the barrel of his rifle
0: when the shooting started congressman brad wenstrup of ohio was near the batting cages he had one eye on an injured steve scalise and the other on the shooter
7: my fear was that he was going to get more people and but i was also encouraged because we knew that we had somebody to return fire
0: because of scalise's detail, exactly. the Capitol Police that were with him.
7: Correct. Steve really took a bullet for all of us, because if he's not here, he doesn't get hit. But if he's not here, there might be 20 people laying out there.
2: Because he's a member of the leadership, he has security detail. Correct. It wasn't just a shooter at that point. It was literally a shootout going back and forth. And, and I could hear it. Uh, you know, my, 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 the sound was as clear as day. I, I knew what was happening. And it, it sounded like a lot of shots
0: your colleagues that were out there, they knew you were down and they wanted to get to you, but the shots were still going on.
2: Yeah, while the shooting was going on, uh, you know, Mike Conway from Texas was playing first base and he was able to get right behind the dugout and he was the closest one to me and I, I just kept remember him whispering, you know, Stevie, don't worry, we're gonna get you, we're gonna get you and he just kept whispering and it was, it was really calming. You know, I could just sense that The other members were in the dugout waiting. You remember that? it was over. Yeah.
0: The shootout lasted about 10 minutes, and around 100 shots were exchanged with the gunman. Five people were injured. Many of the details are still under investigation. The shooting ended when the two Capitol Police officers, joined by three Alexandria police, mortally wounded the shooter.
7: Once I saw him drop, that's when I started running and making my way out to the outfield.
0: So you ran from behind the bathrooms here, right through this gate... Right. ...to Congressman Scalise?
7: Correct. And several people started running from the dugout, too, once they knew he was down.
0: Steve Scalise was bleeding to death, but his prospects for survival were about to improve. Brad Wenstrup isn't just a congressman, he's also a combat surgeon and a colonel in the Army Reserve. As soon as the gunman was down, the cavalry came pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, it was... It, it just seemed like a true cavalry. I mean, you know, I, I heard the words, gunmen down. And Brad Wenstrup was, you know, immediately right there by my side, starting to actually administer care.
0: As an Iraq veteran, you've dealt with a lot of trauma. Sure. When you saw the wound, and you saw that it was essentially, what, through the hip, and there was no exit wound, how worried were you?
7: I was very worried, actually. Um, It reminded me of a case in Iraq uh, where uh, it it didn't have a a good ending.
0: Transpelvic gunshot wounds are known for heavy internal bleeding that's very difficult to stop. Congressman Wenstrup improvised a tourniquet uh, out of a belt.
7: And put pressure on the wound. And then later, tourniquet came. We put on a regular tourniquet. I found a clotting bandage that we put into the dressing as well. And we waited for the helicopter, basically. It's nice to see you, you, sir. Under better circumstances, for sure.
0: Dozens of first responders rushed to the scene. One of them was paramedic Rick Krimmer of the Alexandria Fire Department. He made the call to get Congressman Scalise onto the next available helicopter and
2: helped load the congressman on board. You know, the only time I really started to to worry was when they were getting ready to put me on the helicopter. And to me, it seemed like forever. And I know it was probably just minutes, but I think I told some of the paramedics, don't let me bleed out on this field.
7: I met the pilot of the helicopter later. He said, I flew that bird like I stole it.
0: (laughs) A seven minute flight away across the Potomac River, the trauma team at MedStar Washington Hospital was ready. Dr. When Jack Sava led the team. What condition was he in?
6: Well, when he left the trauma unit, he, he did not have a uh, blood pressure that anybody could find. So that's obviously sort of hovering on the border between life and death. To keep Scalise
0: alive, two minutes after he arrived, they began something called a massive transfusion protocol. Dr. Sava says it's a method of delivering blood that's been improved by hard lessons learned on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan.
6: The blood bank will just start sending blood in, in all the right combinations, the, the blood cells, the platelets, the plasma. It all comes in a cooler, and a cooler comes every 15 minutes till you call and say stop. So, How
0: many units of blood did Steve Scalise use in the first day?
6: I think he got roughly 18 to 20 units of blood in the first day.
0: How much blood is that?
6: Uh, that's a lot, that's more than you have in your body.
0: Doctors operated to stop the bleeding then employed imaging technology to find and seal the leaking blood vessels they couldn't get to in normal surgery. At what point did you think, okay, he's gonna make it?
6: I don't know that I ever thought in those terms. I think that there was a point in the first operation when we got some semblance of control, when I thought, you know, maybe this guy's got a shot.
0: After 20 days in intensive care and nearly six weeks in the hospital, He was transferred to an inpatient rehabilitation facility. There was plenty of work to do.
5: We'll stretch the hip flexors and then we'll get up and stand.
0: He'd undergone seven surgeries in total.
2: A little bit more, that's enough.
5: First, to stop the bleeding,
0: then, to repair his upper left leg, hip, and pelvis.
2: That's it. And
0: And finally, to fight infections Dr. Sava says are common with these kind of
2: bullet wounds. It's working well.
0: He'd lost 50 pounds, and at 51 years old, needed to learn how to walk again. Nice job. To start the process, he needed the help of a special machine to hold him up.
2: It feels a lot better.
0: When he attempted some steps on his own for the first time, his physical therapist, Megan Minzie, was there to make sure he didn't fall. I mean, you're basically learning how to walk again.
2: You really are. Uh, you have to build the muscles back up. The muscles really deteriorated.
0: And to be able to walk like this, it's got to be psychologically like a real milestone.
2: It feels real good. I mean, you can see the progress. And uh, it's something we've been trying to do for a long time. And it's nice to finally be there.
0: Yeah. Jennifer Scalise <laughs> yeah, so thought so too. <laughs>
2: Oh, man.
0: Describe, like, what that meant to you to see your husband on his own walking.
5: It gave me hope. (laughs) Hope for what? It's hard not, you know, seeing him not be able to do things on his own and walk on his own. So when I saw that, it was just a huge
4: sigh of relief that he can do this. Like, he's got this. (laughs)
2: I'm ready to go both. (laughs) All right. We made it.
0: (laughs) After three-and-a-half months in two hospitals... Steve Scalise made his return to Capitol Hill this past Thursday and, with the help of crutches, walked back into the house and his role as Majority Whip.
2: You have no idea how great this feels to be back here at work in the People's House.
0: He says his doctors are optimistic that he'll be able to walk without help and perhaps even run again. But hundreds of pieces of that single bullet will remain inside him for the rest of his life. When he was shot in June, there was a lot of talk from members of Congress of all stripes calling for the kind of unity we witnessed Thursday. So after his emotional welcome back, we followed Congressman Scalise to his office and asked him if the appearance of unity could result in something more lasting.
2: Ultimately, on some of these big issues, we're not that far apart. Uh, But when everybody goes into their separate corners, it's just real easy to to demonize uh, the other side instead of saying, "Okay, how can we come together and figure out how to get done what's important for the country? Hopefully, this might have pulled us a little bit closer together. It's easy for that to go away, but I I would hope that we, we focus on how we can achieve some of those things that we haven't been able to get done yet.
3: When we look up at the stars, it's humbling to realize we're only getting a peek at what's up there. That way beyond what's visible to the naked eye lie wondrous galaxies we never knew existed until the Hubble Space Telescope. For 27 years since it was launched into space, Hubble has been sending us stunning images of the vast heavens. Over the years, astronauts have repeatedly upgraded Hubble, so its most dramatic discoveries have come recently. Tonight, we'll take you up to Hubble and billions of light years beyond to see some of its latest, most spectacular revelations. NASA celebrates Hubble's birthday each year by giving us a gift a new, breathtaking view of our universe. The latest birthday card? This elegant swirl of galaxies dancing in tandem deep in space. Last year, this bubble of stellar gases floating among the stars like a diaphanous cosmic jellyfish. Hubble has shown us radiant, rose-shaped galaxies stretching across deep space, and dramatic towering clouds of gas teeming with the stuff of creation. Stars are born here. Year after year, in the infinite black canvas overhead, Hubble paints an ever-expanding picture of our universe, an awe-inspiring light show for us to admire and for scientists to study.
4: I believe Hubble has been the single most transformative scientific instrument that we've ever built.
3: Most transformative, says NASA astrophysicist Amber Strawn, because Hubble keeps improving our understanding of the universe. She showed us what Hubble discovered after staring for days into what seemed to be an empty black patch, a deep, dark void in outer space.
4: The original Hubble Deep Field is located um, just above the Big Dipper. It's a part of the sky that most people are familiar with. It's a blank piece of sky. So
3: just nothing in here, just darkness. Nothing at
4: all, complete darkness. And then when we look at it with Hubble, what we see is thousands of galaxies.
3: Not just stars, galaxies.
4: Galaxies outside of our own, something we never imagined.
3: Is it that... Hubble just stares into that dark spot until the light penetrates and reveals itself?
4: That's exactly what happens. It's sometimes many, many, many days of just staring at one part of the sky and allowing the photons to collect on your detector.
3: And this is what's revealed.
4: And this is what's revealed.
3: But Hubble was just warming up. That was 22 years ago. Since then, Hubble has stared deeper and longer into space with enhanced equipment.
4: In this particular image, there are 10,000 galaxies. So every single point of light is an individual galaxy, its own little island universe. And so this is a real visualization of the distances of these galaxies. So sort of like 3D. 3D, like we're flying through. So we can make these images 3D because we know how far away the galaxies are. What Hubble has essentially given us is the size of the universe. Hubble has taught us that the universe is filled with hundreds of billions of other galaxies.
3: And now the latest analysis of Hubble's data reveals there could be more than 2 trillion galaxies, 10 times more than previously thought. Typical galaxies, like our Milky Way, have 100 billion stars. That means the total number of stars or suns out there is 2 followed by 23 zeros. That's called 200 sextillion to get some sense of how many stars that is, we went to Adam Reese, who won a Nobel Prize for his work on Hubble.
8: This is more stars in the visible universe than grains of sand on the beach. And on Earth. On all, Earth. all the beaches on Earth. And Hubble has shown us this? It has. In many cases, it has allowed us to see what some of the most distant galaxies look like and how many stars were in them, and we've been able to add it all up.
3: Hubble has been called a time machine that it looks back in time. What has been the most astounding part of that for you?
8: I study uh, explosions of stars called supernovae. It's like fireworks. It's only visible for a short period of time, in this case, a few weeks. And that light has been traveling to us for 10 billion years. It began its journey when the Earth wasn't even here. And over those 10 billion years, our planet formed, Life developed, we built a Hubble Space Telescope, we opened the aperture door, and in the last one billionth of 1% of that journey that the light made, we opened the door just in time to catch it.
3: Hubble almost didn't catch anything. The first pictures it sent back were blurry because of a microscopic flaw in the mirror. The space agency launched a daring mission to fix it. Astronauts have made five trips to Hubble to repair and upgrade its equipment. Hey, John, you can open the thermal cover. John Grunsfeld, known as the Hubble Repairman, flew three of those missions to a telescope the size of a school bus orbiting
1: 300 miles above Earth. Just about anything that we can easily change and upgrade and fix has been fixed.
3: The workings of the telescope, all of that has been transformed.
1: Yep. It is like a new telescope.
3: On your last mission, you come out of the airlock, and uh, you've got this big smile
1: on your face. I thought, you know, I can't imagine anywhere I'd rather be than outside the space shuttle in my space suit next to the Hubble Space Telescope. I was just so happy.
3: Hubble has changed what we know about the universe, its structure, evolution, its age, 13.8 billion years, Hubble showed us the marvel and majesty of stars being born.
4: This is a region of gas and dust that's churning up new baby stars. And now we've learned with Hubble not only stars, but also baby planet systems.
3: Most of these stars have planets going around them?
4: Most stars actually do have planets. Uh, When I was a kid, we only knew the planets inside our solar system. And now we know that the planets are absolutely everywhere.
3: Astronomer Heidi Hamel specializes in Hubble's work within our solar system. With the telescope, she saw huge fragments of a comet slam into Jupiter, creating giant impacts.
9: When I first heard that a comet was going to hit Jupiter, my reaction was, eh, so what? Jupiter's huge, comets are small. And so when I saw the first impact site, and it was huge and dark, I was flabbergasted. This is where the comet has smacked into the planet at such a high velocity that it's caused an explosion, the equivalent of many, many millions of atomic bombs. The Earth is the size of that ring. And so if this event had happened on Earth...
3: We're gone.
9: Yeah, we we call that a biosphere changing event, (laughs) which basically means
3: we gone. Hubble orbits high outside Earth's atmosphere so it can see a wide spectrum of light our atmosphere blocks. Beyond Earth's protective layer, Hubble's ultraviolet camera can spot dazzling displays like this glowing halo on top of Jupiter.
9: Up in the northern hemisphere, what you're seeing is the glowing aurora. An aurora happens when the planet's magnetic field has charged particles that interact with the upper atmosphere. What you're seeing there is actually charged particles from the sun. They get swept up in Jupiter's strong magnetic field, and then it's mirrored in that shimmering that you see inside the auroral oval. And And you
3: would not be able to see that with an Earth telescope?
9: You could never see those aurora because our atmosphere has an ozone layer that
3: absorbs the ultraviolet light. Hubble also found a similar blue hue at the bottom of Saturn. The telescope's most iconic picture is this, the Pillars of Creation, a stellar breeding place. Amber Strawn showed us what a difference Hubble's upgraded infrared camera made just two years ago.
4: Stars are born inside these dust clouds, and this is going to give you a clue on why infrared is so important. Is because in infrared light, what you see is the stars you inside. You see the stars
3: inside Look shining at that. through. How big is this cloud area?
4: Top to bottom, these pillars are about 10 light years, which is about 60 trillion miles.
3: 60 trillion miles.
4: Yes. Space is big.
3: <laughs> big and miraculous, with constant celestial regeneration. Strawn calls this the everything picture. Because you can see old stars blowing up and new stars forming.
4: Anytime you see these sort of dark, cloudy regions, you can imagine that there's stars being born inside there.
3: Where are the dying stars?
4: And the dying stars, we think that this one could explode any day, literally, or it could be a thousand years from now. But near near term, in, in the cosmic times, times, any day, right? So, big stars when they die they explode and send their contents into the surrounding universe and these contents are what seed future stars and future planets and help to seed life ultimately. The iron in your blood and the calcium in your bones was literally forged inside of a star that ended its life like this.
3: So, we are all stardust.
4: We literally are stardust, we are viscerally made of the stars. One of the things I think is remarkable about this image is it shows you how colorful the universe
3: is. This looks like contemporary art.
4: This is a very tightly bound group of stars. And what you see here is about 100,000 stars. This was one of the first images that Hubble's new camera installed in 2009. This was one of the first images it took.
3: Blue stars are the youngest and hottest. White and yellow stars, like our sun, are midlife while red stars are the oldest and coolest.
0: Uh, What a beautiful view.
3: John Grunsfeld has a cool claim to fame. He's the last human to touch Hubble. He gave it a farewell pat. Hubble was planned to live for 15 years. It's now been 27. How much longer can Hubble go?
1: I'm reasonably confident it will continue another three to five years. That means, for a while at least, Hubble will work in tandem with its successor, the much
3: larger James Webb telescope scheduled to launch in 2019. Webb should be able to detect light from the very earliest galaxies. The farthest back Hubble can see is this red blob, a galaxy from 400 million years after the Big Bang. Webb should take us much closer to the beginning of time.
1: So the James Webb Space Telescope was specifically designed to see the first stars and galaxies that were formed in the universe. So we're gonna see the snapshot of when stars started, when galaxies started, the very first moments of the universe. And my bet, there's gonna be some big surprises.
5: The biggest soccer stars in the world are known by one name, Pele, Ronaldo, messy. The United States has never produced that kind of world-class talent, but a 19-year-old from Hershey, Pennsylvania, is poised to change that. Christian Pulisic is not only the youngest player on the U.S. national team, he may just be the best American to ever play the game. This week, Pulisic will play with Team USA as it tries to qualify for the World Cup. For the last two years, he's been playing professionally with one of the most revered clubs in Europe. We spent time with a young American in Germany, where he is already a household name. When 80,000 fans scream your name, you better deliver. This is Dortmund, Germany. says the Germans are not emotional has never stood at the base of Dortmund's south stand. It's called the yellow wall. 25,000 fans bounce along with the ball from misery to euphoria. A collective, manic mood swing... It would put most teenagers to shame. The, the yellow wall lives by two rules. No sitting in the stands and no excuses on the field. Even if you're a shy 19-year-old 4,000 miles from home. It's loud.
10: Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really loud. You, you, you can't hear your teammates from, from 10 yards away trying to talk to you.
5: Is it intimidating at all?
10: It is, it is intimidating at times, but I think as you gain experience and after I've played more and more games, it just gets easier and easier.
5: He certainly makes it look easy. Christian Pulisic was 17 when he scored his first goal for Dortmund, the youngest American ever to score in the German pros. An historic day for the young American. He celebrated like any teenager would with a dab. How do you say dab in German?
10: That, that was the Dust same.
5: dab.
10: <laughs> that was, yeah, it's the same.
5: What makes Christian Pulisic special and so fun to watch is his explosive speed. His passing ability can seem clairvoyant at times, and he can shoot like a sniper. At 19, Pulisic has scored as many professional goals as Lionel Messi, the world's greatest player, had when he was 19. Do you feel like people are expecting you to be the next Messi?
10: Yeah, I think I think it's it's what American fans, soccer fans, do especially. Uh, they're they're looking for the next the next star, the next player to to just be the face of U.S. soccer and, and all the stuff that I hear every day.
1: Slow them down! Just slow them down!
5: Four million American kids play youth soccer more than in any other country. But the U.S. men's team has never produced an international superstar and never made it to the finals of the World Cup. This year, the team is struggling to qualify. They were 0-2 when Bruce Arena was named coach in November. One of his first moves was to unleash Pulisic and build the game plan around him. So what did you think when you saw him play in person?
6: First of all, you don't think he's an American.
5: And that's a compliment?
6: It's a compliment. He looks like a natural on the field and he moves gracefully, strong for his size. His speed is incredible. His first touch is good.
5: Pulisic is a game changer. Watch as he dances around defenders and somehow finds a teammate for a goal. He has either set up or scored nine of the USA's last 11 goals.
6: It makes you think that this is going to be perhaps uh, the first American superstar in the sport.
5: You're willing to say that?
6: I'm willing to say that. and, and um, A lot
5: I'm, of people
11: are and I'm the one
6: uh, You have to be hesitant about this, but this is a very talented young man.
10: Lose
11: it, Fred, lose it, lose it. Sometimes if I'm laying in bed at night and I'm thinking, wow, this is really happening. And you really don't feel like it's
12: real
5: there was never a master plan.
11: No,
12: there's no master plan. Not even close. Yeah.
5: Mark and Kelly Pulisic met at George Mason University, where they both played soccer. Get some distance between you. Right. Mark is a Get professional coach. Kelly just retired as a phys ed teacher. They have three children: Chase, Dee, and Christian, their youngest.
11: Everything he does is it has to be at a very high level. He doesn't like to fail, and he wants it to be perfect when he was two years old he would color and he would color out of the lines and just flip out and i'm thinking what's wrong with this kid and basically i did not want to color with him anymore and and what had happened was i bought white out for a two-year-old and he would get the white out and go around the edges to make it perfect and i i never seen anything like that. I mean, I have two other kids, and I'm thinking, this isn't normal. And that's like his personality, kind of in a nutshell. Is just at two years old, he had to keep it in the lines.
5: He became obsessed with soccer. And before he started kindergarten, had mastered one of the sport's most difficult skills, playing with both feet. He'd play for hours in the yard. When his parents finally coaxed him inside for dinner, he'd pass under this sign, confident, head. The one word gospel, according to Mark.
12: I always was playing up against older kids, so I said that's one thing you can never lose, and you always have to play with confidence that you belong. So I wrote it up there. I did a spell check first so I could make sure it was spelled properly. <laughs> so knew, you would have full I, I confidence. Knew it, would be, it would be there.
5: The boy Wonder ran circles around older kids all over Pennsylvania.
11: He was really small and I'd hear people going, ooh, who brought their little brother? Oh, they probably didn't have enough players to let some of these little brothers out there. Isn't that sweet? And then the game would go on and he'd get the ball and do something and I'd just kind of giggle because they were like, oh, look,
5: look at that little kid. Sony mark, mark him, cover him. By the time he was 12, pro scouts around the world noticed him too.
11: We would get calls constantly, yeah. oh, can Christian play with us? Can, and we had to really find the balance of what was too much.
12: And I just think what we did differently was made sure that we didn't put him in a structured environment all the time. He played for one team. Mm -hmm. He would practice twice a week and play a game on the weekend.
5: That sounds pretty normal. Yeah. You hear the stories about these parents who are doing thousands of miles in their car, taking their kids everywhere, special coaches, special diets, backyard workouts. Doesn't work. You didn't do that with Christian? No. You,
12: know, you he didn't the, keep
5: him on a, a gluten-free, yeah, fat-free no, you know. diet.
12: After games, we were more Slurpees and Doritos, right? Oh, yeah.
5: The Ballistics decided to see if Christian could cut it in one of the most competitive leagues in the world. At 16, he signed with Dortmund, a club that has a reputation for building stars. Why do you have to come to Germany to play? Obviously there's a ton of teams in the u s but would love to have you
10: I, as a kid I, I just I always learned that if, if you want you want to be the best you have to play against the best
5: Pulisic's father moved with him and enrolled Christian in a German high school. What was school like
10: I, I remember going in the first day and the teachers would start talking to me in German and then the other kids would say he doesn't speak german and then I'm thinking to myself, how how was no one aware of that?
11: Oh, he calls me after his first day of school. Mom, mom, hey, what's up, Christian? I went to school today. I sat in a class. I don't know what class it was. Was he was, a little lonely at first? It was. It was very lonely. And what would you say to him? I said, Christian, what do you want to do? You want to stay? I said, because believe it or not, it'd be a lot easier for you to come home on everybody. <laughs> No,
5: no, no, mom! I don't want to come. <laughs> Dortmund is a blue-collar town with rusted steel mills and a Pittsburgh feel, right down to the team colors. On match day, the exodus from the streets to the stadium is lubricated with beer and bratwurst.
10: Before the game even, you're, you're still in the locker room and you hear them singing "You'll Never Walk Alone." <laughs> It just goes throughout the whole stadium and you feel it and it just gets you really pumped.
11: Oh, overwhelming. I cried. Just when I saw his back, number 22, going onto the field, like I can't even. Don't cry. I can't describe it
5: Because <laughs> that's your little, your little boy.
1: Yeah. hmm I hope I have it all right <laughs> Nee, ich nicht.
5: Pulisic has been embraced by the notoriously unforgiving okay. Dortmund fans. Partly because he's become fluent in German,
10: sehr tief und das war, das war it
5: took him a year, but mostly because he mastered their precise style of play. To sharpen his skills, Dortmund uses this, the club's creation called the knot. It is German engineering at its most twisted. Balls are fired as fast as 60 miles an hour. Christian's job is to hit the randomly lighted squares.
10: My dad, those times will just be like, "Stop being cocky. Just, just shut up. Stop being cocky. You're, you're not, you're not anywhere yet." So he doesn't like when I say it because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean I've been a coach my whole life, yeah. and
12: those players never succeed. You know, they're they're flashing the pans.
5: Mark Pulisic did cave a bit on flash when his son, who earns more than $8 million a year, begged to fly from a national team practice in Kansas City to join his friends at Hershey High's senior prom. How'd you get there?
10: I, I took a private jet. A private jet? Yeah, in the private jet, so it's a little weird. I can't believe I did that, but...
5: You probably blew through your whole allowance, right? <laughs> yeah,
10: maybe, but... You're
5: not on allowance anymore, no, right? I
10: don't regret it, though.
5: After partying all night, he flew back and scored his first goal for Team USA.
8: The youngest American in the modern era of the U.S. national team to score a goal, 17 years of age.
5: Pretty good 24
10: hours. Yeah, it was was pretty special.
5: (laughs) That goal ignited the hopes of U.S. soccer fans hungry for a world-class player. We saw it this summer. We were with him in Hershey. He was invited to sign a few autographs. This is the line that was waiting for him. There's no way he's gonna be able to get through all these kids. Right? He's gonna to have to sign fast. He's right there. Oh, Pulisic was enjoying some of the benefits of fame, but his mother said, don't be fooled by a smile. What do you think this is like for Christian?
11: I think it's a lot for him. I think, you know, I sometimes I think he just wants to turn it all off and he just wants to, you know, go home and watch TV. What do you say to him before he... Oh, I just, I, I just, it's like get your game face on. Because, you know, he's gotta go and he's gotta play the part and it's almost the same as I say before a game. So, he's gotta prepare for this.
5: No soccer academy can prepare you for this. Where am I going? Remember, he's 19. Really, he just wants to play whether it's a pickup basketball game or showing up his teammates. (laughs) (laughs) Moves like those and his boy-next-door looks make him a marketer's dream. Pulisic already has deals with Nike, Gatorade, and you guessed it, Hershey Chocolate. (laughs) Top European teams want a piece, too. They've offered Dortmund as much as $40 million for the young American.
3: Fifty seasons of 60 Minutes. This week, we look back on the first Sunday in October 2008, the depths of Wall Street's financial crisis. Steve Croft examined a vast, unregulated shadow market in leveraged bets called credit default swaps. He confronted Robert Pickle, head of the International Swaps and Derivatives
6: Association. The people that made these mistakes are the people you represent in your organization, and many of them sit on the board. I mean, if they didn't get it right, who would?
8: These, these people understand uh, the nature of these products. They well, understand Well, obviously, the risks they that they're didn't, or they wouldn't have bought them. They wouldn't have used them. These are very uh, useful transactions, and if people do understand the nature of the risks that they're entering into. Well, if but they're
3: I'm so, much, if I, they're so sure useful,
6: that- how come they brought down the financial system?
3: I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.